0: And we're just going to read uh, the the first two verses of Romans 12. And uh, they they will be up on the the wall. Oh, there they are. That's good. So let's just start by by reading these, these two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And those two verses contain, well, perhaps they're they're the most significant two verses in the whole book of Romans. That's what I think, because... They come at a crucial point in in the in Paul's letter to to the church at Rome. Paul has just spent eleven chapters explaining what what is really the uh, the most succinct and wonderful and yet full statement of New Testament doctrine, and uh, and as Paul does in many of his letters. Actually, he he explains the doctrine, he explains the truth, and then he moves on to say, well, what's the implication of this truth in your life and in the life of the church, and and that's how how the whole letter to Romans is is uh, organised as well. There's 11 chapters of most amazing truth and doctrine, and then he moves on, starting at chapter 12. And right the way through to the end of, well, really the end of the letter, but certainly to the end of chapter 15, saying, well, this is what it means. This is how you live in the light of all that amazing truth. And, uh, and therefore, these two verses serve to kind of introduce everything that's coming next. They form a, a wonderful summary of everything that follows. And what I want to do is spend two weeks really looking at these two verses And this week, I want to talk uh, personally and practically about how they might apply in your own life. And we're going to be talking about a faith that challenges the culture. And then next week, I'm afraid you've got me again, we're going to zoom back a bit and we're going to look at a church that challenges the culture and just see how it relates to us as a as a as the body of the church together. Okay, so that's where we're going but this week we're looking at faith that challenges the culture and, and uh, I really want to explore the truth that's in these two verses in Romans. But I'm told quite regularly that uh, 40% of the UK population are oral learners. And that means that you, you don't learn so well from bullet points and just kind of laid out structure, but actually you, you learn much more effectively from stories. And so uh, if that's you, then then you're in luck, because we're going to look at a story this morning that that really kind of brings this truth to the fore. And the story we're going to look at is the story of Daniel. And uh, I'd like you to to turn to that if you you have a Bible, Daniel chapter 1. And we're just going to look at this account of Daniel right at the start of, of, of the book of Daniel, and what we see is that the way Daniel lived his life actually was an excellent illustration and application of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to apply that to our lives as well. But let's read, uh, read the story. First of all, Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenes, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard who the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, it might be helpful just to give you a bit of background to the story. Israel as a nation had already been divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, and that was invaded by the Assyrians in 722 BC. And most of the people from from the northern kingdom of Israel were were carried off into exile at, at that time, many years previously. But the southern kingdom of Judah continued for a number of years, and they had a succession of kings that was descended from King David But actually, those kings led them increasingly into idolatry, idolatry and and, and disobedience against God. And eventually, God judged the nation of Judah. And and in 605 B.C., I just love the way that the Bible fits into history. 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army invaded Judah. And they ransacked the, the temple and they carried many people off into exile. And Daniel was one of those who was taken into exile. The strategy of the Babylonians was, was quite clever, really. It was much cleverer than the Egyptians. You see, the Egyptians, they just conquered nations and they put everybody into slavery. But the problem with that is when you've conquered a few nations, you end up with more slaves than you have actual sort of native Egyptians. And, and you know, there tends to be an uprising. So the, the Babylonians were a bit more canny. What they did is they conquered nations and then they tried to assimilate those nations into Babylonian culture. And so the strategy was to take the cream of that society, the, the very top people, and begin to educate them and indoctrinate them in, in all sorts of Babylonian philosophy and, and learning and, and history. And uh, the idea is that, that they would then be put into top positions in the Babylonian government. And so when the conquered nation would, would look at the government, they'd say, hey, that's, that's our guy up there. And, uh, and they'd feel much better about the, the whole thing. And, uh, and, and that was what was happening with, with Daniel. So he was brought into the, the royal court and uh, given that kind of education and indoctrination. And uh, it was also pampered with choice food because these guys were going to serve the king. And the last thing the king wanted was, was people who looked all... Uh, all kind of malnourished. So, so that was Daniel. And the thing is that there is a lot of similarity between Daniel in Babylon and you and me as, as Christians living our lives in this world. You see, just imagine what it was like for Daniel to be taken away from his home where his identity was, was so much tied up with, with his homeland and, and Jerusalem and being a Jew and and missing his, his friends and, and now being here in Babylon and, and there being no end in sight. He just had this sense that this is not where I belong. And uh, I don't mind travelling different places. The last place I went was India and I had a great time there. But I tell you what, I was glad to get home. I like to get home. I like to be in the place where I feel, yeah, this is where I belong. But you know, as a Christian, this world is not your home. And there will always be an element of of conflict in your own spirit. You see, you are a child of God, holy God. And yet you are living in a world of sin. And you will never completely feel that this is where you belong, that this is home. The, The great patriarchs of the Old Testament saw this. You can read that in in Hebrews chapter 11, where it's describing these great men of faith and Abraham and and Isaac and and Jacob. And it says there in verse 13, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And if they could see it, how much more should we be able to see it with all the the revelation we have in Scripture and and, uh, and knowing Jesus personally? You see it in the New Testament, too, in, in Philippians. Chapter three, verse 20. Paul is talking about the uh, the false teachers that were there in that church in Philippi. And he says their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And when you become a Christian, you you are in a sense ruined for this world. You realize that you are set apart for something much better. You've got one eye on the future. A bigger perspective. You see, we're, we're just pilgrims in this world. We're, we're just walking through. And, and this is the basis for the Christian hope. And it's a wonderful hope. It's wonderful to think of everything that, that Jesus has in, in store for us. But you know, that hope challenges the way we live now. It challenges the, the decisions we make. Right down into the, the details of our life. And the way we, we are and the way we act at home with our family, when we're at work. And so, based on this understanding that our situation is actually quite similar to Daniel's, I want to look this morning at five things that Daniel did. And what we see is that we need to actually have a similar mentality. We need to try and do those same five things. And in doing so, we actually fulfill the teaching in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Okay, sure you come with me on that? So let's look at the first thing then that Daniel did. The first thing Daniel did was he chose to worship. You see, Daniel had a problem with the food. The first part of, of every meal that was prepared for him And for the king and the others around there would have been taken to the the pagan temples and and sacrificed there to the pagan gods, the the gods of the the Babylonian Empire. And uh, as far as Daniel concerned, that that taking that part of the the animal and, and sacrificing it to pagan gods defiled the whole animal. It made it unclean. And therefore, for him to eat it would have been to make himself unclean. To have defiled himself before God. And, uh, and Daniel had a real choice to make here. But what Daniel realised was that his whole body belonged to God. And that keeping his, his body physically pure was actually an, an act of, of worship. And you can wonder if, if maybe Daniel had read Romans 12 verse 1. Probably not. It hadn't been written for another six hundred and sixty odd years. But uh, but Daniel understood something of, of the truth there. Let's read Daniel 12 verse one again. It says this. It'll go up on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, for a faith that challenges our culture, the starting point is right there. Do you see your whole life as given in worship to God? I mean, your, your physical body, your time, your your money, your home life, your work life. I felt in preparing this that um, that perhaps God really wanted to speak into our work situations this morning. And so I I just feel it's right to to keep sort of returning to that as as an application of this teaching. Okay, how how you get on at work, what what your experience is of, of your working situation. And the first question to ask is, do you worship God with all of you, with everything that you are? Including what you are at work. You see the picture that's taken in, in Romans 12 verse 1. Is, is obviously from, from a human sacrifice. Not human sacrifice. A, uh, an animal sacrifice. It's taken from that whole picture of, of getting an animal. And, and putting it up on a, an altar. And, and cutting its throat. So its blood comes out. And it's, and it's messy. And, it, and it's gooey. And, uh, and yet this verse is saying. Offer your body. As a living sacrifice. It's saying for you to climb up there on the altar. So, so that you are physically on top. Now obviously you don't kill yourself. You're not a human sacrifice in that sense. You are a living sacrifice. But the point is that your whole self is devoted to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And it's easy to lose the meaning of, of, of of that phrase, and I think the NIV footnote is quite helpful there, because so it says this is your reasonable act of worship. And what that means is that this is of the mind, this is internal, this is something you have decided and chosen to do. You see, the worship that God wants from us is not external; it's not a veneer or a facade. That's not not worship at all. The worship that God wants is is internal. It's spiritual. Do you have a, a, an external appearance of godliness? So that you look and you, you sound all, all Christian, but actually you're disengaged from God. Well, That's not what he wants. Do you know what it is to be a, a Sunday Christian? Where you can come into this place and, and sing and, and, and enjoy it. But, but actually, when you go out to the workplace on a Monday morning, You wonder if people even sort of know you're a Christian or or, or do you look any different? See, the worship that God wants is not on the outside. It's on the inside. You're a a spiritual person. God has made you with a spirit. It's, It's what makes you different from the animals. And in your spirit, you can know God. What a privilege that we can know God. We are spiritual people. And your worship is spiritual Or reasonable when you take what you know about God and you use it to say, yeah, I'm going to live my life for you. See, it starts on the inside and it shows on the outside. So that's the first thing Daniel chose to worship. And then secondly, he did not conform. And there was a lot that that Daniel had no control over. He was taken from his home. He was forced to to march across the desert, probably. He was forced into the the service of the king. The king decided his daily routine and and what he would study and when he would study it. And, And now he was being decided as well what he would eat. And it would have been very easy for Daniel to conform It would have been very easy for him to just kind of go along with the flow. Conforming would have been the the comfortable thing for him to do. But but Daniel realized that his priority was to worship God. And so he took practical steps and he asked for, for permission not to eat that food. And that would have been a scary thing to do. So I can imagine that, that if he was off the program, then uh, then that would probably have been the end of his life. There was real risk involved here. But Daniel realized that, that he had to prioritize the worship of his God. Well, Romans 12, verse two is is perhaps contains the, uh, the most familiar phrase in these verses. It says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And we're all being molded and shaped like wet clay. You can't stop yourself being molded and shaped by something. And the question is, what is the mold that you are being shaped into? You can be shaped by the world around you and pushed into its mold. Or you can be shaped by God and and pushed into his mold and determined to honour God in, in every area of your life. And the pattern of this world is determined by the rules that this world lives by. And many of them will be familiar to you. They, they ring true. There are rules that, that, that come into play in, in your workplace. Rules like, well, it's okay to just kind of... Bend the truth a bit. Make sure you you don't give the full picture to our customers. There are rules that come into play through our media. This is the the pattern of our world. Sex is for your pleasure. so, So just go for it. Your value is dictated by the job you do, by the amount of money you earn. There are rules which uh, which we can even start to apply to our own lives if we're not careful. Your own needs are the most important thing. Look out for number one. Do you know, there, there there are rules associated with the pattern of this world that even have an influence on how we witness and how we tell people about Jesus. Because the pattern of this world will tell you, you have no right to tell me what is true. And we can hear these things and and be influenced by them. I was uh, listening to the radio this morning and and, and there was some guy there, I didn't necessarily get the full story, but there's a guy proposing a motion in the General Synod which says that the church should say that it's only through faith in Jesus that people are saved. And you know, it's been met with outrage. And I don't want to, you know, have, have a go at the, the Anglican church at all. But you know, there is a pattern of this world and it says you cannot say what is true. You cannot tell me what to think. It's the pattern of this world. The world will tell you as a Christian, your best bet is to blend in and be invisible. But you know, we are called to be distinct. We are called to be radical. To have a faith that doesn't simply go along with the culture, but challenges it. And that might take practical action. You see, Daniel had to ask. He had to, to speak out. It may mean missing out on something. It may mean passing up an opportunity. There might be some element of cost involved. You see, Daniel was was being offered the king's food and and, uh, I can imagine this was pretty good food. I imagine that the rest of the Babylonian Empire probably would have killed themselves to to eat that food. It was probably gorgeous. This was the very best the world had to offer. And yet Daniel could see it for what it is. And you may be being offered bonuses and promotions and, and reputation. And standing. You might even be. Offered things. That, that, that the world would see as great. The pleasures of this world. Even the chance to, to, to get back at somebody. Or, or get back in somebody re- revenge. And, and this is the best the world has to offer. But don't conform. To the pattern of this world. Conform to God's pattern. And God's pattern. Is. Be holy because I am holy. God's pattern is love your neighbor as yourself. And doing this might make work a a tougher place to be. It might make it quite a challenging environment to be in. And I think it is wrong to think that we can completely fit in to a secular workplace environment. I think there will always be an element of disjoint and yet we need to know that God is with us. God is with you. He's right there close to you because he wants you to mould into him and you can't mould into a mould that is a long way off. It has to be up close. And so God is there with you saying, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Conform to me. And, uh, I think it's a good idea to take a leaf out of Daniel's book. What he did is he didn't go with this alone. He got together with some friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And uh, and they went together and and asked for permission not to eat the food. And and it's just good to get people around you. You know, if you're in a a situation where you're thinking, I don't want to conform to that. And yet it's tough. Then get people to stand with you. Your community group is, is an excellent resource in this respect. Share your situation with them. Get people to pray with you. Be accountable to one another. And also, if you know of Christians at work, and that's not always the case, but if you do know of other believers at work, get together with them. Pray together. Share your experiences at at work with each other. It's what Daniel did, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. So he did not conform. Thirdly, He submitted to authority. And when we're talking about faith that challenges culture, this is a a very important subject. You see, Daniel maintained an attitude of, of complete submission. He asked for permission not to eat the food. He didn't go in and demand his rights and say, look, this is the way it is. This is the way it has to be. No, he asked for permission. He sympathized with his boss's position. He understood where his boss was coming from and, and, and empathised and, and said, well, can we find some sort of creative ways of getting around this? And, and so he suggested this trial period where he wouldn't eat the meat for, for 10 days and then they'd review it and, and have a look again. Do you know, whenever the Bible talks about holiness and not conforming and being distinct in the world... There is invariably a reference to your submission to authority that comes very soon afterwards. I mean, You've got it clearly displayed here in Daniel's life. And you see it again when he when he was faced with the lion's den. But it's also in, in through the New Testament. You, you look at Romans 12 that we're looking at here. The first few verses it says do not conform to the patterns of this world. But Romans 13 starts Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Ephesians 4 says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Ephesians 5 and 6 talk about wives submitting to husbands and and slaves submitting to their masters. And it's not just Paul's writing either. You're looking in one Peter, Peter's first letter. And and there in chapter one, verse 15 It says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. There's this call to holiness. And then in chapter two, it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. So why is there this link? Why is there this link between holiness and being separated from the world and submission to authorities that God has put over you? Well, I believe it's because God hates rebellion. He hates rebellion. It's at the roots of all sin. It was right there when the, 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 the devil rebelled against God in heaven and was cast out of heaven. It was, it was because of rebellion. And from Adam and Eve's first sin, right through time, at the very core of sin is just that. It's rebellion. Against God. And a refusal to understand his authority. And God hates rebellion. And so the New Testament is wise to this danger. You are not to conform to the patterns of this world. But that's not a license to rebel. And kick against authority. And it's so important then that we understand the difference. Even in the workplace. When does being distinct... And not conforming, when does that become rebelling against your boss? But I believe there is a difference. And there are questions that, that you need to ask. Perhaps the most important question is, who am I serving? Am I serving God or am I serving myself? Because non-conformity, not conforming to the patterns of this world, is marked by a desire to worship God and see his name lifted up and elevated. Whereas rebellion is marked by a desire to to serve your own ends and and make your own life easier. And so I think that's the crucial question, is where is my worship? Who am I serving? And, and, And you need to be honest. Because I know that that some work situations can actually be quite tough and quite stressful. And uh, and you really need to to seek God in that and and hear his voice into that. And and say, who who am I serving here? Am I looking to see God's name glorified and honoured? Or or, or am I just serving my own ends? Because if you're serving your own ends, the chances are it's, it's out of rebellion. There are a couple of other questions to ask. Do I want the very best for those in authority over me? Do I want the very best for my boss, for my directors? Assess your thoughts and motives. Pray for those in authority over you regularly. And then again, ask, have I sought every opportunity to obey? Because I think that's what Daniel did. He thought, well, let's see how I can possibly make this work for you. Ultimately, your obedience is conditional in the eyes of God. Because you're not called to disobey God and and do things against his word. But your submission in your heart is unconditional. That's a heart attitude that that does not change. And so Daniel could could ultimately not obey, but his submissive heart was always evidence. So ask yourself, have I sought every opportunity to obey? Be creative. Be in faith. Serve diligently and and work hard. And, uh, And obviously... It's not just in the workplace. It also applies in general. We need to be submissive before our government, before the the tax office, before the laws of of the land. And, And I think it's the same questions, actually, that we need to ask. Who am I serving? Am I serving God? Am I serving myself? So anyway, I just put that in because it's just always linked in Scripture. Holiness and submission. Where are we now? Fourthly, he was transformed. He was transformed. You see, Daniel passed the test. After 10 days of eating nothing but veg, he was looking really good. You know, when he walked into the room, all the girls stopped. and thought, wow, he's all right. It's not something I really experience that often myself. Going to say. And, uh, and I imagine all the boys were thinking the same thing. They were just kind of not saying anything. They're just sort of quietly seething with jealousy. You know, Daniel was looking good. He, he was hot. <laughs> but actually, God was in this. The way he lived in private, the way he worshipped God on the inside, it began to have a transforming effect on the outside. People could see it. Well, do you know what Romans 12 verse 2 says? It says this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it literally means let what you are on the inside show through on the outside. Let's look at Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth as a man. He didn't stop being God for one instant. He was always God, but his divinity, his his godness was hidden. It was veiled. So you you couldn't see it. Except for one very special occasion, which we read about in Matthew chapter 17. And you can also read about it in Mark's gospel and, and Luke's gospel as well. When Jesus went up onto the mountain And he took with him three of his disciples, Peter, James and John. And it says there that he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. It was brilliant in its radiance and and his clothes shone as well. And and the disciples just hit the ground and, and worshipped. And in that instance, something of the glory of Jesus was revealed. It was like that the veil was just kind of taken back a little bit. So some of Jesus' glory shone out. He was transfigured. The disciples could see him as he really was. Well, do you know, it's exactly the same word that is used in Romans 12 verse 2. The command is to be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. And having a faith that that challenges the world around you shouldn't be viewed purely as a negative thing. Do not do this. Do not do that. Do not conform. But rather, it's hugely positive. Be transformed. Be transfigured. Let the way you live your life, i.e. what you look like on the outside, be determined by the amazing thing that God has done on the inside. Let it show. Be transfigured. When God saved you, he he gave you a piece of his glory. He put it inside you. You are born of the Spirit. You're a a son of God. You're a co-heir with Christ. You have a promise of a, a glorified body. And you will one day reign over a new creation with Jesus. And God has given you his Holy Spirit as a a down payment, as a, a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It's the most wonderful truth. It's all there in the beginning of Romans. It's wonderful. So let it show. Be transfigured. Let what God has done inside you show on the outside. And a transformed life has a transforming effect. And you might not be the, the, the most handsome, like Daniel was, but uh, but people will notice something different. You can imagine people coming to Daniel and saying, you, you haven't been eating the food. And yet, how is it that you look so good? And people will come to you and they'll say, you don't do the things we do. You, you don't eat of this world like we do. So how is it that you look so good? There's something good about you. Maybe it's that you've got no fear of the future. Maybe it's that you've got no fear of death. Maybe it's you've just got a a real peace about you. Maybe where the the world around you is, is tearing people down and and stabbing people in the back, you're always building people up and, and encouraging people. And, uh, and people notice these things. I say, wow, there's something good about you. It's because you are letting what is on the inside show what is on the outside be transfigured. See, if that doesn't describe you, then uh, the chances are you're not being transformed. You are being conformed and uh, and, and maybe you just need to get your, your thinking right. And understand properly the wonderful thing that God has done to you. You see, your mind needs to be made new. It's the renewing of your mind. It's understanding what God has done. And basing your life on that. That transforms what you are on the outside. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then there's one more, one more thing. One more thing that Daniel did. He understood God's will. See, I think the illustration from Daniel can be taken one step further. Not only did he look the best. But it says in, in verse 17, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And you might think, well, okay, Daniel could could interpret dreams. That's uh, that's nice for Daniel. You know, he got given a a gift and certainly he was a pretty major prophet because he he wrote the book of Daniel in in the Old Testament. But, you know, there's a curiously similar verse, isn't there, in in Romans 12? Because Romans 12 says this. Romans 12, verse two says this at the end. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when your whole life is dedicated to God in worship, when your thinking and and behaviour is not dictated by the, the patterns of the world around you, but by the wonderful thing that, that God has done in, in saving you and putting his spirit in you and, and giving you an inheritance. Then then you actually begin to think like God thinks. You begin to understand him a little bit better. You begin to know him better. And I think this is what happened to Daniel to a large extent. Because he was worshipping God on the inside, he just began to align his thinking with God's will. And so where all those around him would, would talk, rubbish and 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 speak from their own worldly viewpoints he could speak from the will of god he could say i understand how god would would view this let me tell you and uh, i'm sure to that was also added some some gifting uh, in in the realm of the prophetic and uh, and if, if you want to develop your prophetic gifting i think this is a good place to start worship god with your whole life don't conform Be transformed. But I think there's something here for for all of us. That we can understand God's will in a particular situation. You can begin to understand what is going on. You know, we're encouraged to test and approve God's will. Who are we to stand in judgment over God? Who are we to do that? And yet God in his grace invites us to. He says, test my will. And when you test it, you will approve it. Many around you will be maligning God. People will say every day, I think God has got a lot to answer for. If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it like this. I don't think God is very good at all. And people say that on a a global scale. They look at what's happening in Burma and China and and say, what is God doing? But also people will say it locally in your own situation. Or maybe you've even been tempted to to think it yourself personally. Maybe your work situation is hard and confusing or stressful. And it would be so easy to ask, well, what is God doing? I don't understand. I don't understand what God is doing here. But you know, I believe there is a promise in scripture. And it says that when you worship first, when you don't conform to the pattern of this world, when you are transformed by the truth of what God has done for you, then, then you will find out what God's will is. And you will see that His will is good. That it is pleasing. That it is perfect because God is perfect. And you'll be able to say, I see what God is doing now. I can see what he is doing and I approve. I can see that it is good. And so you see that, that Daniel actually put into practice Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 in, in quite a, a majestic way. And I hope that that truth speaks into our lives. Next week, I want to talk about the church and, uh, and 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 how we can, as a church, challenge the culture that we live in. But I think I'd like to end there and I'd like us to, to pray. Actually, I'd like to pray into people's job situations, perhaps if if the worship group could could come back. So I'd like us to worship as well. And uh, I'm sure we will finish in time for for tea. But I I do want to pray for people because I think there are specific things that God might want to touch here. Okay, I want to pray for people whose job situation is hard. I want to pray for people who, who are maybe in a stressful job situation. You just feel stressed and you just need to know the peace of God. With you there in your work. You know, we spend a large proportion of our lives at work, don't we? And we just need to know God's help. So if, if you're stressed at work, then then I want to pray for you. Also, if your job situation is hard for another reason, perhaps you, your boss is difficult or just a bit dim, <laughs> then... Uh, then, then I'd like to, to pray for you. If you have difficult colleagues or, or there are tensions, or, or maybe the, the future of your, your workplace is, is uncertain, your own job future is in jeopardy, then I'd just like to pray that, that the peace of God would meet you this morning. But there's two other areas that I'd like to pray as well. I'd, I feel some people just might have felt God speaking to them and, and you might need to actually confess a, a wrong attitude to work. Perhaps you look at it afresh and you just think, yeah, maybe there's a bit of laziness crept in. Maybe a lack of diligence. Perhaps you've been a bit unsubmissive in your heart to your boss or your bosses. Now, I just believe it's, it's just right to respond to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I just want to put my heart right. And so uh, if that's you, then then. then Please, please come and, and I'd like to pray for you on, on that. And then the third thing is, if you feel a rise in faith for a greater effectiveness in your witness at work, then, uh, then I, I think we should also pray into that. You know, if you if you just really, we, we could all do better, couldn't we? I mean, I work in the church office, I could do better. But uh, if you feel... That, uh, that God's been speaking to you and challenging you. To, to, you've, you've had your light, but it's been under a bushel. And you want to get your light out and say, Yeah, I w- actually want to take a stand for Jesus in my workplace. I want to be more effective in, in my witness. Then, uh, then, uh, then I think it would be good to pray for you too. There's masses of stuff there in there. But uh, if you just feel God speaking to you, then, uh, then I'd love to, to pray for you. Okay? So we're going to sing a song. But, uh, but don't hold back, okay? Don't delay, because we're not going to draw this out. So, uh, please come. I'd love to, to pray for you. We'll get others to pray as well. Okay? Okay, let's stand together. Let's, uh, let's worship God.